Did you know you can watch this episode on YouTube? Search for Accounting Influencers Podcast. And remember to like and subscribe to learn even more from the best experts, thought leaders and influencers in the accounting and fintech world. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. This is your access to world-class accounting leaders, global influencers and thought leaders. Discover what makes accounting firms great and accounting professionals world-class. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable and powerful with better data and insights. Welcome to the Accounting Influencers Podcast with me, Rob Brown. Brought to with me today, Stuart Pedersen, who is a learning expert with Kaplan Financial, Chief Learning Officer. We're going to dig into qualifications today, the rigidity of them, how well they serve the accounting and finance professional in today's crazy world. Stuart, it's wonderful to have you with us. Good to be here, Rob. Thanks for asking me. Stuart, tell us a little bit about your background that qualifies you to talk about learning and finance. I might say possibly my age, which <laughs> we won't discuss, but I've been in the profession. So I trained in accounts profession, qualified accountant, moved into industry, and I've been in accountancy education for the best part of 25 years. My role at Kaplan is that of head of learning. So although I still lecture, because I think that's an important part of the role, I my interests lie in the, the shape of the profession, the job that we're trying to do in terms of what people need to know for tomorrow. But I suppose just on a personal basis, the, the best way that we can transfer that knowledge. So how do we do it to best effect? Now you talk about finance professionals, you put accountants in that. So just define some terms for us. What is a, a finance professional and how do accountants fit into that? Just so that we're all clear. When I first started out, the term was very much accountants and accountancy, which possibly brought with it a sort of an image of a Scrooge-like character who would pour over a desk and move one number from one side of the ledger to the other. And that, in its simplest format, is, a, is accountancy. But the profession is a much broader church these days in terms of the roles that accountants do. And in fact, I think we're going to move on to some of this, Rob, aren't we? But the, the technology is reshaping that to a certain extent. The term finance professional for me is, a, is an umbrella term that probably is relatively ill-designed, but would certainly include the definition of accountant, but would also be much broader than the task simply of accounting, because I'm not sure how big a role that is. Anymore. I'm pleased that you call it a profession. There are some that call it an industry, but akin to the legal profession, the medical profession, we're talking about individuals that have sweated hard for qualifications and accreditations, and they've got letters after their name. They've earned the right to be called a professional. So it should be called a profession, not an industry. Yeah, I'm quite big on that. I think, and I think there's a, a weight of responsibility. It's not just a title, but there's a responsibility that comes with being or considering, it's not what others call you, it's what others call you, but you think of as yourself, in terms of, I take, this is my role in, in life, which might sound a bit heavy. I am a finance professional, 
I'm not passing through this industry. The indus- I'm actually passing through the industry with that title. I mean, I'm bringing the finance skills that I have into different industries, but I'm doing that as somebody who takes the decisions, considers the decisions I make carefully before I talk about them or actually use the skills in the workplace. And there's a lot riding on the decisions made by a qualified professional, isn't there, in the way that perhaps there isn't in an industry. Give us a, a quick snapshot of what shape you feel the profession is in right now Stuart it's a just I, I don't think it's in a bad place I think <laughs> you're pausing there for some considered words aren't you they, they were and I suppose really it's a sort of there's often a, a, an argument that says oh yes it's terrible and needs to change so I don't think it's in a bad place but I think it does need to change in terms a lot to do with speed and I don't think as a profession it's any different from the medical profession or the legal profession the challenge is and this is the analogy I think of when I qualified, I was probably the most knowledgeable in the office about certain technical things because the partners at the time had qualified many years ago. Of course, they had massive experience and and areas of specialization that I hadn't got because I hadn't got that experience. But in terms of a broad range of knowledge across the current tax rules and the tax standards, you come out and you would walk into their environment and be immediately valuable to that business or that practice. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. I'm not sure that what what professionals come out with now in terms of qualification is that cutting edge understanding of what what the role should be or in fact what skills you bring, partly because of the technology. Should you be the person that's coming out and saying to the the partners or the businesses, you've been doing this wrong, that blockchain is the way we should be looking at this or generative AI is the solution to many of our problems. And they're not just tech problems, it's almost like a bit of an attitude and a mindset? Or are we teaching people historical things that have a place? Don't get me wrong, foundations are important. You can't build good ideas without solid foundations. But I'm not sure they bring that, I've just finished university, I've just finished college. You're the brightest boy I've got, so tell me what I don't know as an experienced practitioner might to somebody who just qualified. Yeah, and some question whether the modern day qualification is fit for purpose. Does it churn out, for want of a better phrase, a professional that is fully rounded and able to deal with the complex business environments and and data that is thrown at them and make sense of it so that it's valuable to the the business that they serve? Still, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist in so much that the, the things that are taught create disciplines and thought systems or thought processes that are transferable. When I think you've got to, it's important to differentiate the actual things that you're taught from the transferable skills, which is a very sort of fashionable term. And I'm not just talking here about sort of communication and things that are transferable. I'm talking about attention to detail, critical thinking, skepticism. And I think those things are are taught well. The, The challenge for the profession is how much of the new stuff do you bring in without losing the core principles. For many listening to this uh, podcast, double entry bookkeeping would still be the bastion and the backbone. And I have a lot of sympathy with that because having done it and still being able to knock out a set of accounts, I hold on to that, but I have to challenge that logic and say, if that's done for you now, do you really need to do it? My, My heart and gut says yes, because I think there's something special that happens in learning it. My head says, I'm not so sure. Maybe you're just not thinking about it. Right. Let's camp on the tech for a moment because you can do a set of accounts at the push of a button. 
I've heard even that ChatGPT can pass the CPA qualification in America, no doubts the chartered accounting qualifications. The double entry bookkeeping is done for you. How has the tech changed the accounting and finance function and the qualifications to get there, Stuart? I can still remember when computers came in. <laughs> I can too. <laughs> if you reflect on that, if you, I've just written a, a recent article on this, and, it, and it, what he did is he basically tried to position generative AI in terms of historical sort of things in the past, the internet and computers. And at the time when you're there, there were similar things said that ultimately it, it's, not, it's not generative AI that will replace accounting. Computers replaced accounting in the 60s. It's the spreadsheet oh, replaced accounting. A spreadsheet replaced accounting. But the, the, so the skill set, the tools that are used, I think will change. And, I, and I, I suppose I hold more dearly onto the ability to mentally navigate the direction of travel using the tools of the time. And do we do that at the moment? I'm not sure we do. I think there's a lot more opportunity to embed some of the technologies within the assessment framework, whether the assessment, most professional exams across the world, exams in particular, three hours, type tests, different, three different levels, and they require a very variety of calculation and written responses. But maybe, and, and this is done to a certain extent, ICAW certainly do it in the UK, where you embed some software in the exam itself and ask the candidate to use the software. I think there could be a shift more towards that type of assessment. And there is an argument to scrap three-hour exams and go for a continual assessment because of the speed of change. I can't see that coming anytime soon, but... I'll circle back on that. But for the moment, I'm just mindful of the quote that Bill Gates said, that don't despise the geeks because soon they will rule the world. And finance professionals these days, they are part geek, aren't they? They've got to know more than how to turn a computer on and off and how to operate a spreadsheet. There are, there are so many different apps and spreadsheets and automations and technology that they need to be mindful of and even masterful of to do their job. Yeah, this, this sort of driving test assessment process whereby you qualify and you first pass the post and then you do some continued development, which really perhaps it comes naturally through the workplace. It's not like a driving test, is it, where you tick a box and get a qualification and then you're off and running for the next 60 years. It isn't, but you do have to navigate new signs and different countries and drive on the other side. So I'll stick with my analogy in terms of you do have to adapt, but the challenge is, should you be assessed? And, and I suppose really, and therefore you maintain, you force people then to actually say, I've got to take this seriously rather than, oh, it's just a, a box ticking exercise. But, but you touch on an important point and, and a challenge for the educators, and that is, how do you keep the finance professionals up to speed with a sufficient level of understanding or a skill to be able to use, want to be aware of? Yeah, so everybody knows a spreadsheet. Everybody knows a basic computer package. But you've alluded to lots of digital packages. And obviously with Gen AI, there's a lot more things coming along. How could those tools be used? Do I even know they exist? And then secondly, am I going to invest the time to get good enough at them to actually make a value, make a difference to me in my job of work. That's the point. There's a learning curve for everything. And if you double my effort on not just learning the accounting and finance principles, but learning the technology to start to apply and interpret those, I've not got, I've now got so much more on my plate. I'm busy anyway. I've got to learn how to use this app 
and how to use this technology package and how to use this software and all of these practice management or whatever you call it, these data interpretation tools, it is turning into a, a profession for the geek in some respects. Yeah, no, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. And I think it's frustrating, and you must have done this as well, where you spend, you look at something, it promises, but the how much time do you invest in order to get, I, I spent an afternoon and I still can't use it properly. And that, look, there could be a project planning tool. They, they've been around for a long time. I can't say the amount of project planning tools that we've looked at, played with, moved on, looked at. So they're, and they're not specific to finance. I'm probably doing a disservice to the word geek there. We're not talking about accountants and finance people writing code, but we're talking about uh, some semblance of familiarity with what's out there. So we know that the tech is changing things. You, you mentioned AI and the tools and everything else. What else is driving change? Possibly the expectations of new professionals coming in. Yes, with every new intake of learners. New generation, yeah. Yeah, new generation. There's a lot. I'm always slightly skeptical of Gen Z, Gen X. But Why are you? Because it seems too neat a bundle or, or a package to put humans in. It's like any profile in sort of Myers-Briggs or anything. They, they just... People find a rough identity, and they can be. They can start to behave like the title. And and I think we are. It's all right for me. I'm a Gen Z. I'm supposed to only work for three hours a day and move on and go and travel the world. But nevertheless, I think as an observation on demographic change, humans do evolve in cultural groups. Yeah, I came from a background of it was very much hard work, and I, I was reflecting on this the other day when some of my daughter's friends came some with really good jobs and then just saying we're just going to take a year off and it struck me that I've certainly spent a career working towards a point in time when I don't work and can do all the things I like there's a, definitely a younger generation that aren't going to wait possibly <laughs> because they'll never have a pension pot big enough to retire at, at the end of the day so they just break off in the middle of I've just got this job but I've told them I can't start for a year because I'm going to go and travel around the world so I do think there are whether they're created as cultural pools that everybody around them see but but that there are definitely traits I think in different generations that behave in different ways and, and yeah we're on the sharp end of that in terms of education and it's difficult in some respects to produce a one-size-fits-all training pathway when people come in and then say, I'm going to take a year off in the middle. Whereas I would cancel holidays to study. People will actually take a career break. And I just wanted to succeed and pass the exams and get on. People are just seeing it as more as a journey. And, I, and, and that does create challenges in my world because we've got to reflect Reflect that, respect that, and still deliver the quality of education and training in order for them to do the job in the workplace. Sure. And you and I come from a generation where if you had a gap in your CV or your resume that wasn't looked upon favorably, you would be asked to account for that. So when we look at generations, just a final point on this, 75% of people running accounting firms, for example, are in baby boomer range. They'll be gone in five, 10 years. A lot of them are at retirement age already. So if we look at what kind of shape the profession is in, how attractive is it to the younger people coming through to pick up these talent gaps and take the places of the generation that is running at the moment? I was on the career stand, Rob, and I was <laughs> trying to draw people. Recruiting. Recruiting. I would sell I me it, Stuart. Sell me I, it. But look, 
<laughs> just at, on a very low selly basis, it's as good a career as anything. I get the medical world and I, I get the identity in terms of I want to work in the world of justice and honor and truth, and therefore I'm not going to become a lawyer. I want to work in them. I want to heal people. So I want to. Very few people say I want to manipulate numbers to become an accountant, but I do think it stands those up. And I, and I, I have a sort of a, a thought around its future in terms of where it goes. And this, this plays into this career aspect is who's going to own the data. So if you look at an organization and you look at the you know, traditional board structure and even those are, are evolving. But if you look at experts that sit around the table and you've got your CEO, your CFO, and you've got those type of experts, you've got your technology expert, um, you might even have a human capital expert, but who's going to be the rational voice that doesn't create the data? that isn't responsible for safeguarding the data, that isn't responsible for the tech and the systems that sort of ensure the integrity of that data, but are the people that have to make sense in terms of the future of the business, what it means in both commercial terms, i.e. the profitability, but increasingly, and we do teach these things around sustainability, around integrated reporting and areas such as that, that try to put a business through numbers, and obviously the narrative supports that, but through numbers, try to present it to the shareholders and at large that this business isn't just about a bottom line. It's actually about its employability, its impact on the economy. It's about its impact on the environment, employability and all those things. And who's going to own that? I would say that we're still pretty well placed to do that. When you mentioned the word impact, the word that popped into my head was strategic planning, that phrase. it's We're at an age now where... Life is so complex. We come across this term VUCA, don't we? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. You know a lot about that, Stuart. Making long-term plans, good strategic plans, long-term forecasting, is so much more difficult now. Yeah. And but that's the impact that finance professionals are expected to make. If you were describing finance to uh, somebody else, you might say there's some people that look at the past and add it up and create, give a, a scorecard on how an organization has done. That's that historical past tense expression. But the value in terms of commerciality sits within the ability to say what's going to happen next. And let's do a 10-year strategic plan. Yes, idealistically, you could possibly say in 10 years, we can have a vision that we want to do this. So you can paint some narrative. But in terms of the financials, it, it gets more and more difficult because not because of the risks. And, and once again, another topic that we do teach trying to get across the distinction between risks and uncertainty, the idea that risks have probabilities attached to them, but uncertainties are based on different pathways. If the government, for example, suddenly changes its targets for net zero, or in fact backtracks on its commitment for electric cars, the industry was up in arms today. They've done their strategic planning based on, we're going to get rid of all the petrol cars by, was it 2030? And now it's going to be 2035. Richie Sunak at the sweep of a pen just removes that. And suddenly Ford, I think, were the biggest players in that conversation have said, hold on, you can't just do that. We've got to... We've got to plan for a car industry. So I think it gets more and more difficult. And in fact, after three years, you almost have to say to the board, this is possible, likely, unlikely scenario. I think scenario planning comes into play rather than accurate forecast. 
You mentioned Rishi Sunak. Other political leaders are available in different countries. <laughs> some of the some of them equally as inept or untrustworthy or whatever your political affiliation. Talk to me about the skill set of the modern finance professional. How that has changed, and to what degree we can predict what might be needed for the future, Stuart. And that's another really good question. So I'll go the prediction. I like the idea that you don't think about jobs, but you think about skills, right? So, firstly, the idea of uh, being a partner or being a CFO. I think those the, the skills that sit underneath those titles are moving so quickly. So I, I think it doesn't matter what the title is anymore. I, I, it, it gives an identity, but really what it's talking about, the skills of a CFO 10 years ago are going to be very different to what they were 20 years ago and what they're going to be from 10 years from now. If you look at the skill development, I think that's the easiest thing and the prediction. I think... I still hang on to these transferable things, these ideas, I think critical thinking, professional skepticism, almost a mindset, objectivity, not subjectivity, that there is a there is an identity built, I think, into a, a finance professional psyche, that they are the one, and, and I see this is an increasingly important role that says, how do you know? How do you know? What's your evidence for that? Yeah, what's your evidence for that? Yeah, what's your evidence? Because there's so many people put things out there and they say, this will definitely happen. And I think one of the, the skills of a finance professional is to say, how do you know? How do you know that's going to happen? Now, you are obviously confident, but I want to be sure that you are not just making it up. I'm a big fan of a program called More or Less on Radio 4 in the UK. And it's a program that looks at data and evidence. It's far more interesting than it sounds, trust me. But they looked into a comment that somebody said, if the, for the listeners overseas, HS2 is a massive train project in this country, costing the country billions. And they said, if we scrap that, we could provide everybody in the UK with an electric car. And this was said on a, on a TV program and, and people had written in and saying, is that true? And it was like miles away. It was trillions out. It was, and when they went back to the source and they asked the person that said it, she just said, I just thought it was a good analogy, so I made it up. <laughs> and, and so coming back to the skills, who's going to ask the question, how do you know? So I think that level of objectivity and integrity, I know these sound, the younger generation's a bit pompous, but they, as I've got older, they've become much more important than, than they used to be. Doing your best, standing up for what you believe is right. I think the ethical point is very important. I think those are the skills in addition to those technical skills that will keep evolving in, uh, as the tools that you need to master. So I think it's, you've, got these, you've got this solid framework that teaches disciplines. Then you've got these sort of skills that are technical nature that adapt to the tools. And then there's the sort of, I suppose, the attitudes, positivity, the softer skills. I don't know. It's... Uh, they always come top of every survey you do, but it's communicate group work, that sort of thing. That leadership, that the ability to put forward a persuasive argument, presentation skills, communication skills, empathy. We hear of emotional intelligence, don't we? The modern day finance and accounting professional needs to be armed in those areas as much as the hard technical stuff. For sure. And I, I often think that people that, that live in more senior positions know they are important. Sometimes when it gets translated down into a syllabus or a, an exam question, they look relatively trivial. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you've got to be a good committee. Yeah, I know that. But how do, how do I do a set of accounts or what's the tax rule for this particular thing? So I, I, it is a blend. But when you get there, the ability, I think in skills, the ability to think 
but you're right in what you say. There's no point being right if you can't persuade everybody else. Because all you do is sit back and go, I told you that. When we look at how learning has changed over the years, I did my A-level mathematics, my advanced level here in the UK, with logarithm tables. Scientific calculators had just come out. You'll be familiar with those. Uh, but these days, my daughters learn from watching YouTube videos and peer learning and all kinds of different things. So how has the learning function changed over the years in finance, Stuart? One really interesting point to, to just jump in on that. Learning hasn't changed at all, okay, in, in terms of the human process. Recalibrate my question for a minute. Yeah, so, uh, no, I, I mentioned it, not, not to, to highlight that, but just because I think it gives some clarity and hope. Do you know what I mean? I.e., everything's changing. And, and the transfer of knowledge from short to long-term memory, which is an accepted definition of learning, the, the moving of something from a, a, a brief glance or meeting with it in terms of a deeper and long-term understanding, that process, that biological process has not changed. What has changed is our understanding of how that works. We are much, much more knowledgeable now how to do that more effectively and the tools that we have to do that, the, the use of the calculator or the, the learning mechanisms, things that we've got discussion boards, we've got mobile phones. Yeah, mobile phones are great for short-term communication. Um, so they have a role. Mobile phones have a role to play in learning and education. It's not all now sat at a desk. So I think you can hold on to the fact that the, the biological process has not changed, but the tools and mechanisms, digital books, animations, project work that you can undertake. So all of that side of it, video literally, you, you can, I was listening, I was watching something the other day that it's a generative AI app where you can actually go and speak to Lenin or, and I actually spoke to Luca Pacelli, the creator of Double Entry Bookkeeping. So you can go and have a conversation with him online. And I didn't know till this year, but he shared a room apparently with Leonardo da Vinci. So I asked him, I said, is it true that the creator of Double Entry Bookkeeping, actually, I should probably add on the podcast, actually shared a room, because he, he wrote a book on mathematics, that's where it all came from. He actually shared a room with Leonardo, and he said, yes, I did. And, and he actually said something like, did, I said, did you create Double Entry Bookkeeping? And he said, yes, and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, so you can go and interview anybody, and all it's doing is pulling on the data sets of, of, the, of what's out there. It does say, look, it's not the real person, but it, but as you've said, there's so much data out there now. Yeah. So what Who would? What would you ask? I asked Lenin if he was a mass murderer, Stalin if he was a mass murderer, and he said, no, I'm a leader of people. And he was just, so those are great tools. In, in professional education, we always have a very hard technical edge though. So we don't get a lot of time to explore the more interesting maybe and the more thoughtful areas of finance. This is great, Stuart. It's a wonderful conversation. Wrapping things up there now, what gives you most hope for the finance and accounting function in coming years? I think because we're in a good place. I genuinely do. As I say, I think as long as we get the decisions right in the next few years in terms of the role and the identity and don't see these technologies that come along as stealing our lunch, but actually us adapting to the technologies, I do think that, that it will be an excellent career around some of the disciplines that that we've that we spoke around this what why do we need this person in this organization it's because we need somebody like that i don't want yes people i don't want people that tell me what i want to hear i don't want people that are always cynical i don't want i want people to give me views that are balanced critically thought through before they even talk to me and i think that could well be the future
Rob. Tell us finally about your body of work. You have a blog, you write on things like this. You work at Kaplan Financial too. Tell us a bit about your role and your body of work. Yeah. So as I said at the outset, I'm head of learning. I'm responsible for, I suppose, the, the education strats, which is a, a future looking document that sort of considers five years, no more, uh, looks five years into the future in terms of professional education and how we should, uh, the direction of travel that we should go down. So that's like one aspect of my job. The other part is, as you say, I do write a blog, which is a lot more learner focused and is pretty much focused on learning, evidence-based learning, really. So some of the stuff I touched on about long-term memory and how that works and, and what is the best way of transferring knowledge? What is the, what are the best learning methods that we can use that we can actually prove work rather than can actually say that we do work. And I, and I also have got a podcast there, I say, where I, I interview, so. yeah, <laughs> where I interview people. It's, it's called Capital Learn, but a podcast you'll find it on the Capital website. We're in season four. We're just picking up with season four now. And in that, it's similar to this, perhaps not quite so tidy as this. We look at nutrition. We look at learning methods. We look at motivation, done a bit on AI. So pretty widespread, not necessarily just for students. In fact, it's not for students. It's for, it would be sit comfortably alongside what you were doing with this. Great. We'll put a link to your blog and the podcast in our show notes so that our listeners and watchers can tune into that. Uh, final question for you, Stuart, and then uh, we'll let you go to change the world of learning in the finance <laughs> function, is if you could push for one change in your world that absolutely was mandated and everybody took on, what might it be? I think in terms of finance, I think I have a big thing about honesty and trust of information. So I would like, we live in a data rich age where, you know, I, I was, another video I was watching only this week was uh, speaking, somebody speaking English and then you press a button and that's the lip syncing is stunning. Just absolutely stunning that this guy looks like he can speak German and then he can speak French. So I think it's, it's going to get even more. And so just as a little nugget that sits inside everything that we, that finance professionals know about. The ethical side of it you're talking it's about. The, it's the ethical side, but it's also the ability to question. And I, I think if there was one little thing that we could remain, because I think it's going to become more and more important, the difference between being able, that scepticism, but equally navigating the fact, I know it looks real, but let's look at the source of it. That inquiring mind that I think will, I think he's one of the key sort of building blocks, I think, of being a finance professional. So that would be my wish, that we don't get caught up too much with the shiny things and the new tech, as important as they are, but we remain thoughtful and reflective on a, a series of thinking strategies that enable us to actually difference from truth. The curious professional. You heard the it. Curious here. professional. Smith. That's been magnificent. Thanks so much for your time and your insights today. Thanks for asking. You're listening to the Accounting Influencers Podcast. Sponsored by Dext. Make the businesses you advise more productive, profitable, and powerful with better data and insights.